welcome. This is our second in the six-week series in um, uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith. We're on chapter 15 of Repentance Unto Life. The, uh, the first thing that uh, should jump out at you uh, is the title of the chapter, uh, Of Repentance Unto Life. Uh, I, I don't think there, you know, that there are very many Christians that don't think that repentance is important, uh, but we don't usually think of repentance unto life, you know. It, we have faith, we have life because of our faith, we have life because of the grace in Jesus Christ, uh, and so uh, why did the divines uh, name their chapter of repentance unto life? Um, uh, you know, were they already, you know, we think of the Protestant Reformation beginning with Martin Luther there in the early 1500s, and now we've reached the 1640s, you know, we're almost 150 years later. And uh, those of us who are Presbyterian like to think of the Westminster Confession kind of as the pinnacle of the Reformation. You know, it's kind of reached its zenith, and here it is. And are they already backing away from the five solas, uh, uh, you know, faith alone? Are they already stepping back uh, from uh, the, the five solas? Um, uh, and so uh, hopefully we will answer that question as we go through uh, today. Um, and uh, they actually pick up this language from uh, the 11th chapter of, of Acts. Uh, as I began to speak, um, the Holy Spirit fell upon. This is Peter describing, he's back in Jerusalem after having uh, gone up north and, and, and seen the conversion of the Gentiles. And he's come back, and he's telling the apostles and the elders there in Jerusalem what happened. He says, so I began to speak, and the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift, uh, same, the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I uh, that I could uh, stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. Uh, they, you know, they said, okay, we're not questioning what you did anymore. And they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also has God granted repentance that leads to life. So repentance unto life. It's picking up on uh, that phraseology uh, from the, the book of Acts. Uh, so... I, I don't know about, I, I don't want to speak for anybody else in the room. I can speak for myself, and I think actually I can speak for, generally, for the Christian church in America, uh, that repentance is not something that I and most of the church in America um, spend enough time on. Now, I, I, you know, all saints is not a bird, so any number of you, may this may not apply to at all, but... Uh, you know, I spend a lot of time thinking about theology, listening to podcasts, reading books. Uh, when I pray, I try to be uh, to adore God. I try to be thankful for all that He has given me. Um, but just when you compare all that time that I spend on various theological, spiritual, intellectual, theologically spiritual, intellectual pursuits, repentance is pretty low on the list of how much time I spend. And so repentance often in my life uh, looks like 
I've I've been tweaked in conscience. I've done something, and my conscience has been tweaked, and I throw up an arrow prayer. You know, just at that moment, oh, Lord, forgive me. You know, I shouldn't have done that. Help me not to do that again. Okay, move on. Next podcast, right, or whatever. Uh, And so repentance is just not uh, a a practice in my life. And when you start looking at repentance in the New Testament, you start going, oh, this is big in the New Testament. And, of course, we all think of uh, John the Baptist, you know, John the Baptist's message. Um, John the Baptist came and uh, said, you know, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So often when we think of repentance in the New Testament, the first thing that comes to our mind is John the Baptist. Uh, But, of course, it was also Jesus' message. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So here, that's John the Baptist's message, the kingdom of God is at hand. Therefore, repent and believe the gospel. So believe and repent. We have right there in, uh, you know, as part of Jesus's message. Uh, I think we tend to think of the message as the kingdom of God is at hand. Christ has come. Therefore, believe. Boom. End of sentence, period. But Jesus' message was repent and believe the gospel. It runs all through the book of Acts. Uh, So here's uh, Peter's famous uh, sermon in Acts chapter 2. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here, he didn't even use the word believe. The word believe is kind of assumed in the text. Uh, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the, name of, in the name of Jesus Christ. So trusting in Jesus Christ, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Or uh, just another chapter later uh, in Acts, therefore, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Or chapter 8, repent therefore of the wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. I believe this is the... Uh, Simeon, who, who was uh, trying to buy his way into heaven, and this is the apostle's response, repent, uh, or Acts 11. Uh, then to the Gentiles, also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Or 17, the times of ignorance, in, in the times of ignorance, God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Uh, Acts 20. I did not shrink, Paul is teaching here, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, wouldn't you feel better if the, you know, it kind of left that little phrase out, right? It, it, I, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and uh, teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to both Greeks and Jews uh, of the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Just skip the whole repentance thing, go right to the, right to the faith. It would feel more natural to us. Uh, Acts twenty six twenty. Uh, but I declared first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and throughout the whole region of Judea and also uh, to the Gentiles. So this has been the message all along, everywhere I've gone, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Uh, we see it in Paul's writings. 
Uh, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness might lead you to repentance? And I just feel more comfortable if it said God's been waiting for you to come to faith, right? No, he's been waiting in his forbearance and patience uh, for you to repent. Or in Second Corinthians, uh, for godly... Uh, grief produces repentance that leads to salvation. Again, repentance unto life uh, without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Or to Timothy, he said, God may perhaps grant them, in this case, false teachers, uh, repent in the church, uh, repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And then, uh, unless we think it is only um, to the unbeliever who needs to repent and believe, uh, Jesus said in his letter to the church in Pergam, Pergamum, uh, therefore repent, and if not, I will come to you soon and wage war against those who do not, I will against them with the sword of my mouth. And so uh, the, the New Testament says a lot, and it says as often about our need for uh, repentance. And you know, we often uh, memorize, uh, or at least start to memorize uh, in our circles, the shorter catechism. And, and, you know, probably if I just ask the first question, almost everybody in the room can answer the first question. I went on to second, third, fourth, fifth, tenth question. Half the room probably could get those or get close to them. Then you get over, you get to the point where you're going through the Ten Commandments. You're, you're not, now you're in about 60 questions into the uh, 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 shorter catechism. And I bet there are very few people in here that would get that one, you know, those correct. You get to the end of the Ten Commandments, and uh, it says right at the end of the Ten Commandments, the next question is, um, uh, what, what is... Uh, what do, what do we get? What's our due for not doing all this stuff we just recited about the Ten Commandments? And it says um, that we're under, we get the wrath and curse of God. That's what we get for not obeying the law of God. We get the wrath and curse of God. So then it asks the next question. It says, what does God require of us that we may escape his wrath and curse due to us for sin? And it says, uh, to escape the wrath and curse of God due to us for sin, God hath required of us faith in Jesus Christ. Sure, yes, perfect, yes, wait, period. Put a period right there. Wait, stop, no. Repentance unto life. With a diligent use of all the outward means whereby Christ communicateth to us the benefits of redemption. So we got to go back and remember justification is an act of God's grace whereby he treats us as if we had never sinned. We get into heaven, says the early part of the catechism, by faith in Jesus Christ. But then we get past the Ten Commandments, and we're starting to talk about what it is that we need to do. And it says, well, you need to have faith, but you also need to repent, and you need to take advantage of the means of grace. And so it's going to go on, I'll, I'll just pause on the, the outward means for a second, it's going to go on to talk about them being the word, especially the preached word, uh, prayer, and the sacraments. So what do you need to do to escape the wrath and curse of, of God? Well, number three is make sure you show up to church, right? Make sure you place yourself under the means where the Spirit works in your life. Number two is make sure you repent. Number one is make sure you have faith. 
Make sure you're trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. But all three are required of us. So then it wants the, the shorter catechism wants to explain what they are, and so it asks the question, what is faith in Jesus Christ? Well, faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he's offered to us in the gospel. Shoo, there we go. They haven't left the doctrine of uh, sola fide, right? We are saved by grace through faith alone. Okay, well then what's repentance unto life? Well, repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ doth with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose and endeavor after new obedience. Now, the interesting thing to notice here is in both questions, faith and repentance are a saving grace. They are things that God gives to us. They are a grace to us. They are something that God gives to us. So when we say you are saved by faith alone, that's really shorthand because you're not saved by your faith. Your faith doesn't save you. Dennis loves to say your faith doesn't save you. Christ saves you, right? So the longhand version is we are saved by grace through faith, and when we say by faith alone, what we mean as, as in opposed not to not works. It's not faith plus works. But it's not the faith that saves you. It's the grace of God that saves you. And it's a saving grace that is given to you. So it's not a matter of how strong your faith is. It's a matter of whether God has given it to you or not. All right? And so uh, then uh, what the divines were saying is that not only does he give faith, he also gives repentance. He gives to us the saving grace of repentance. Now, we'll get, uh, now we're going to move over to the, to the confession where we'll get into more details about uh, what repentance is, what it looks like in our lives, and so forth. Uh, so, moving over to the confession, the first, uh, the first paragraph is Repentance unto life is an evangelical grace. So again, this is just another way of saying what they said in the shorter catechism. It's a saving grace. Repentance unto life is an evangelical grace. The doctrine whereof is to be preached by every minister of the gospel as well as faith in Christ. Now, this is an odd statement. It's it's an odd statement to say this ought to be preached by every minister of the gospel. Shouldn't every minister of the gospel be preaching everything that's taught in the Westminster Confession? Isn't every doctrine in the Westminster Confession coming from the Bible? And shouldn't they be preaching the whole counsel of God and preach everything that comes? That you know, Because what we say as Presbyterians, we say the Westminster Confession is our understanding of what the Bible teaches. And therefore, they should be teaching everything that's in the Westminster Confession because every bit of it's in the Bible, and they should be teaching every bit of the Bible, right? So why here? Why do they stick it here? Uh, You could put this phrase, you know, at the end of every paragraph, right? Then you could just stick it, preacher ought to preach this, and go to the next paragraph, preacher ought to preach this. Why do they stick it here? Well, I think it's because of the temptation to not preach it. It's It's the temptation to do what I said feels most natural to me as an American Christian to say, uh, 
What I need is faith in Jesus Christ. I've checked that box. Now I can move on. And, uh, and I, I, um, I preached for six months in, in West Virginia. And uh, I can't remember if it was the week before I arrived or uh, the, it was within, you know, it was either the week before I arrived or just within a week or two of, of my arrival there in West Virginia. It's a little coal hauler in West Virginia where everybody knew everybody. It was a small town America and everybody knew everybody. And uh, an older gentleman in the community had died. Wasn't a member of our church, but everybody knew him. And one of the members of the church came up to me and said, I know he's in heaven. And, uh, and I, said, I said, oh, okay, uh, uh, you know, tell me about him. Oh, well, he was not a good person. I mean, he was a drunkard, and he beat his wife, and, uh, you know, and he, he, was, he, he never held down a steady job, and blah, 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 blah. But I remember 50 years ago, I saw him walk an aisle and accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and therefore I know that he is in heaven. And so what they had said was that faith, he had had that faith, he'd received that gift of, uh, from, you know, he'd heard the preaching and he would, had received the gift, and because once you've received the gift, you can never give it away, you can't give it back, therefore he was in heaven. And there's been a debate in the kind of the Arminian Baptist circles um, uh, for, I don't know, a hundred years or more, where there's one group that says, uh, use, use the language of once saved, always saved. Now, we can relate to that statement, but the way they use it, they mean it, just what we just described. If you have at any point prayed that prayer of accepting Jesus Christ into your life, then you're good. You're good no matter what. And that's exactly, I think, what James was trying to fight against in his book, in the book of James, where he's saying faith without works is dead. It's not real faith. Uh, And so faith always comes with sanctification, or another way to put it, faith always comes with repentance, right? And so uh, uh, to, to say that we know this guy's in heaven because he walked an aisle or prayed a prayer 50 years ago. It's just not biblical, right? If there's, we, we've seen no, he's not, he's not, that was the last time he stepped in through the church door. Um, and uh, it's just not the biblical position. We've seen how much the Bible says about repentance in relation to the forgiveness of uh, our sins. And again, the temptation to the preacher is to preach uh, faith in Jesus Christ and to then stop and not preach the whole counsel of God and the need uh, that we have uh, for repentance. So the Westminster divines felt that they needed to pause and remind us uh, of this. So then, more specifically, what is uh, repentance? Chapter 2. By it, by repentance, a sinner out of the sight and sense not only of the danger but also of the filthiness and odiousness uh, of his sins as contrary to the holy nature and righteous law of God and upon the apprehension of, the, of his mercy in Christ to such as are penitent, so grieves for and hates his sin as to turn from them all unto God. 
purposing and endeavoring to walk with him in all his ways, uh, in all the ways of his commandments. So, repentance starts with an aesthetic, with a sense of, uh, of the beauty or ugliness of something, all right? Uh, uh, by repentance, a sinner sees the filthiness and odiousness of his sin, right? As unbelievers, we can look at sin and go, wow, that's really cool, Right? But as we become believers, as Christ gives us a new heart, he gives us a new aesthetic. And what used to look fun, beautiful, cool, exciting, now begins to look filthy and odious. And so not only out of a sense of danger, but also out of a sense of the filthiness and odiousness of sin. So we should perceive the danger. We should perceive that, you know, just going our own way, heading, running after sin is, is dangerous. But faith and repentance can never be simply an insurance policy against the danger. Only the one who sees the filthiness and odiousness of his sin is uh, truly repenting, uh, says uh, the, the divines. And there are, there are plenty of passages where, uh, especially in the Psalms, where, the, where David is just recognizing the, the ugliness of what he has done, the ugliness of his heart, the, 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 just the, again, the, the different aesthetic that the, um, that the believer can have uh, from uh, the unbeliever. And so it's realizing that this is not a good place, that I'm heading towards, this is not a good place, and it's wanting to leave that behind and, and turn and head towards Christ uh, and towards what who he is and what he has done, and knowing, and, and, and we only do that out of that apprehension of the mercy that, th- that he has for us when we come uh, to him. Um, and then, uh, again, my problem is I need to repent more. I know that there are others who just live with a constant s- sense of, of guilt and worry that they have not repented enough. Um, I, I had this uh, happen to me. I, I mentioned this uh, in leading worship uh, after, after, the, after we've prayed our, our prayer of forgiveness of sins. I had this happen to me twice within like a two-week period where I had an older gentleman, two, two different gentlemen, who had grown up in the church all their lives who were uh, uh, wrestling with this question, they were, try- they were once again, in their old age, collapsing works down into their faith. And the first one asked me, you know, he's, at, he was, he's in his, uh, he's in his uh, early mid-80s, and he looks at me and says, how do I know if I've been good enough to go to heaven? And I said, I have good news for you. You are not good enough to go to heaven. And then, uh, you know, I went on to say, it's not about if we're good, in, good enough. It's about whether Jesus is good enough. And uh, has he paid the penalty for my sins or not? And he still was just going, uh, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. And I said, okay, wait, just, let's just think John 3.16 for a minute. I said, does it, 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 John 3.16, 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him and is good enough shall have eternal life. And, of course, he did exactly what you did. He went, oh, yeah, that, of course, that, yeah. All right, I said, okay. So I'm, I said, now when that time comes and you're laying on your deathbed and you ask the question of yourself, am I good enough? I said, you tell yourself, no, I am not. <laughs> you just keep saying to yourself, I am not good enough, but Christ is. Christ is good enough. And then I had, within two weeks, I had another gentleman in his late 70s come to me and he said, you know, if you hear that they have uh, rushed me off to the hospital and, and, and this is, you know, it sounds like this is the end, you be sure to ask God to forgive me for any of those sins I haven't repented of yet. You see what he's done? He's put his faith in his repentance, not in Christ. And, you know, would it be that I was as diligent as this older gentleman was in his repentance? But just don't put your faith in your repentance. And so I I love the the last sentence here in this paragraph. We We hate our sin. We grieve over our sin. We see it odious and filthy, and we endeavor to walk in all his ways. We purpose and endeavor. Those are vastly important words, right? If it had said, if the Bible said, and the the Westminster Confession picking up on it said, that you uh, turn from all your sins and never go back to them ever again, then we would be in trouble, right? But it says repentance is turning and purposing and endeavoring. So the question isn't, have you repented of all your sins? The question is, are you purposing and endeavoring to repent of all your sins? Uh, uh, I I was dealing with another gentleman at one point uh, who was uh, was thinking about uh, uh, leaving his wife, and he had he had no grounds to do so. Uh, It was not a, a happy marriage. It was not a comfortable marriage. I felt sorry for this gentleman. But, he hadn't, he, but his wife had been faithful to him, you know, in the sexual sense. She had not abandoned him. Uh, he had no grounds uh, to leave her. And, and, we, and we just told him, you, ca- you can't do this. This is sin. You know, this is displeasing to God. And he said, it will be okay. God will forgive me. And we said, it does not work that way. It does not work that way. See, because what, he was, what he, he was saying, I don't need to purpose and endeavor, right? I can, I, can, I can just keep on doing what I want to do and what makes me happy, and God will just forgive me because uh, that's what God does. I trust in Jesus. That's all I need. And we were like, no, it, it does not work that way. You know, you, you may not be the perfect husband, and she might not be the perfect wife, but are you endeavoring and purposing to be that better man, to do what God would have you to do? Or have you just given up and said, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore, right? Um, and so uh, uh, it's uh, that last phrase there, purposing and endeavoring to walk in all these ways. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card, but it's also not your condemned-for-sure card. It's not go-directly-to-jail card either, um, 
and so I, I love this. And we pick up on this language in our membership vows. In the third vow, when you join the Presbyterian Church, you have to promise to endeavor to live as becomes a follower of Christ. Uh, we, are you tr- striving? Is that what you are doing? Striving, purposing, repenting. So repentance then becomes a, a, a daily habit of, of, uh, of turning. And there is, a, there is a sense in which... I said I don't spend enough time repenting. There is a sense in which repentance comes natural to the believer. Uh, As we see those things that the world calls beautiful, uh, and we we grow in our sense of understanding the, the filthiness and odiousness of them, we have this tendency to turn our back on them. You know, we'll, you know, sometimes we're a little bit like Lot's wife, and we'll look over our shoulder and think, you know, it'd be really be, I'd kind of like to be doing that, you know. I'd kind of like, you know, that, that other man's wife, or I'd like, you know, to be drunk at that party, or I'd like to tell a lie so that I could get a better job at work. If I just hide the fact that I messed this thing up, I might get a promotion. And so we have this tendency to look back over our shoulder, and sometimes we even take a step in that direction. But then we go, no, 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 no. And, and we are always then striving and purposing and moving. <coughs> and so repentance is not just a prayer. Repentance is an action. And, uh, I, and I, I believe that all Christians naturally are moving in that direction. There's so many other things you could be doing right now than listening to me, right? But you've repented of those things, right? You're here, uh, and uh, you are endeavoring to walk in God's ways. You want to know more about God than uh, about, uh, you know, the latest Marvel movie or whatever. That's why you're here and not on the internet at home reading up on whatever it is you could be reading up on. You're endeavoring, and I think that comes natural to the, to the Christian. Uh, and what I think where we fall down weak, or at least in America, is pausing long enough to take analysis of our lives and finding those areas where we're still kind of looking over our shoulder, as it were, and saying, no, no, there's one. Lord, you know, forgive me for that. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have been thinking about that. I, I shouldn't be wanting that. I shouldn't be striving for that. You know, uh, I should be striving and endeavoring and purposing for, for you. We don't spend enough time thinking about it, but I think it does come natural to the Christian to be wanting always to move towards God. So, they go on to say then, although repentance be not, cannot be... Oh no. Although repentance be not rested in as any satisfaction for sin or any cause of the pardon thereof, which is the act of God's free grace in Christ, yet it is of such necessity to all sinners that none may expect pardon without it. Okay, so this one is, again, referencing back to what they've said earlier about faith. Faith alone, you know, we're resting in Christ alone, through faith alone, our repentance has nothing to do with our, the satisfaction for our sin. And uh, the Catholic Church and so many others will tell you if you, really, if you really want to be saved, what you have to do is repent. You have to make this change in your life, and then therefore you will be saved. And, um, and the, 
And even though they see that, uh, even though the divines see the importance of repentance in the scriptures and repentance unto life and the necessity for us to be endeavoring, this necessity of us to be turning, the necessity of us to be seeking God's forgiveness day by day, yet that doesn't change how ultimately we are saved. Uh, Romans 3.24, being justified freely by his grace through uh, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We are justified freely through his grace um, uh, uh, in the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is good enough. We are not good enough. Uh, and so repentance is to not be rested in, in any, as any satisfaction for sin. Thank you, God, that I am not like that guy, that I have repented of these things, and therefore you accept me as righteous, right? That is not uh, what we're uh, saying. It is not to be rested in as any uh, uh, cause um, or any satisfaction of the pardon that we receive in Jesus Christ. That is free grace. Yet, it is of such necessity to all sinners that none may accept, expect pardon without it. Again, so I walked that aisle, I prayed that prayer, I accepted that gift. Well, whoopee. Are you purposing and endeavoring to live for Christ? Are you trusting in Christ moment by moment? And, um, and the, you know, that first turn, right, that, you know, so often you have believe and repent, repent and believe. And we have even the one in, in, in uh, Peter's sermon in Acts where he just says, repent and be baptized. Well, that's because that first act of belief is also the first act of repentance, right? You've been looking in all the wrong places for your salvation, for your happiness, for your wholeness, and you hear about Jesus Christ and you go, ah, Jesus so your very first act of belief is also your very first act of repentance. You're repenting of that old way of thinking, that old way of being. And that's why so often, in the, in the, especially in the Gospels and Acts, repentance and faith are so tied together because belief is an act of repentance. It's a turning from this false view that you used to have and turning to Christ. It's turning from trusting in these old ways and turning to Christ and trusting uh, in him. Uh, and so it's easy to say that it's not my turning that saves me. Christ saves me. It's not that I quit believing that and now I believe that. That's what saves me. No, Christ saves me. But if you haven't made that turn, then you're not saved. You follow that? It's Christ that saves me. But if I haven't made the turn, he hasn't saved me. So repentance and faith are necessary in all Christians. If we've not seen faith, if we have not seen repentance, then we shouldn't expect pardon. That's what they're, they're saying. And, uh, and we often talk about it in terms of justification and sanctification. Justification is not sanctification. I am justified by an act of God once and done. Being a justified believer, I am trusting in Christ. But if I never move in sanctification at all, it brings into question whether I was justified in the first place. So my 
uh, my works, my repentance, my sanctification, they become evidence. They become the fruit of my conversion, my justification, my regeneration. All those things that are a part of my initial being brought into faith are then shown by the fruit. Uh, Kathy and I are eagerly awaiting for the figs to appear on our fig tree. Uh, and, and, you know, if, if we'd have bought the house, you know, the fig tree came with the house, uh, I guarantee you that I would not right now know it was a fig tree because I can't name any of the other trees in my yard. Uh, but I know that's a fig tree because it bears figs every year and I get to, I get to eat the fruit of, of that tree. And so I know that tree. Uh, and in the same way, uh, the Christian is uh, known by his fruits. And if he is a fig tree, he will bear figs, as it were, uh, is the biblical view. And so uh, none should expect uh, pardon uh, without uh, repentance. Now, more good news. There is no sin so small, that it, but it deserves damnation. There's your good news. Every one of your sins deserve damnation. However, there is also no sin so great that it, cannot, that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. Uh, Paul referred to himself as the chief of sinners. When he looked at the sins that he had committed, he said, nobody's done it better than I have in terms of sinning. Uh, and yet he was forgiven. And so there is no sin so great that... Uh, if a man is endeavoring to repent, that it can bring damnation. All right, so I know I've got some, you know, theologically, uh, in, uh, you know, uh, uh, picky people in here. And somebody back there is going, okay, what about uh, the unpardonable sin? Somebody's out there thinking, okay, what about the unpardonable sin? Isn't that the sin that's too big that you can't actually uh, repent of it? And... Uh, most the, you know, there's a huge debate as to what actually is the unpardonable sin, but one of the agreements uh, I do tend to see is that the what's what makes it unpardonable is that you're just locked in, that you you never repent of it. Once you've gone down this path, there's no coming back. So, if whatever you have done, you're endeavoring to repent of it, then guess what? You haven't committed the unpardonable sin. Uh, there is no sin so great uh, that those who truly repent uh, cannot uh, be uh, saved. And then, so then, men ought not to content themselves with a general repentance, but it is every man's duty to endeavor uh, to uh, repent of his particular sins, particularly. I love that line. Um, uh, so, you think about our corporate prayer in, um, uh, in, in the worship service. It's a, it's a very um, uh, general prayer, right? Uh, I, I, I tend not to do the things that I ought to do, and I tend to do the things that I ought not to do, and, you know, Lord, uh, forgive me. I, I don't, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a more of a general prayer because... Every one of us sins in different ways. And so when we come together corporately and we're going to confess our sins, uh, we need to think in big categories of the sins that all of us are committing. But it says that we should uh, 
um, uh, we should pray for, we should, you know, we shouldn't, uh, this is the one place, uh, I thought about this earlier this morning, this is the one place where we're supposed to name it and claim it. You know, so the, the, the prosperity movement says, name the, 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 the prosperous thing that you want, the car, the, the job, the wife, whatever, name it and claim it. Well, at, biblically, what we're supposed to name and claim is our sins. That sin is the thing I did. I claim that sin as mine, and I repent of it. I turn from it. Paul was uh, great at this. He didn't just say he was the chief of sinners. He called himself a blasphemer, a persecutor of the church, um, and, and such. So uh, the, the, the Bible is full of, of name it and claim it on your sins. You think about, um, again, quite often David in the Psalms uh, names his sin and the ways that he has um, you know, broken the law of God. Um, uh, uh, even, and the divines even used the example of, of, of Peter uh, denying the Lord uh, three times. Uh, it's not just that uh, Peter was inclined to not follow Jesus. It's that he actually denied him three times, and he needed to, he needed to seek forgiveness for denying the Lord those three times. Uh, and then... Um, so then the, the final paragraph, uh, every man is bound to make private confession of his sins to God, praying for the pardon thereof, uh, upon which and, the, and uh, forsaking them. He shall find mercy. So he that scandalizes his brother or the church of Christ ought to be willing by private or public confession and sorrow for his sin, declare his repentance to those that he has offended, who whereupon thereupon are to be reconciled to him in love and receive him. All right, so uh, here they want to, you know, the main point is the second half. We're not only to just ask for God's forgiveness. In the church, we have a duty to ask each other's forgiveness. Uh, and so, so James uh, 5.16 says, Confess your faults to one another. And pray for one another that ye may be healed. Um, or Luke um, 17, 3. Take heed to yourself. If thy brother trespasses against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. You know, in other words, if he uh, confesses his sin to you, then forgive him. And if he, if he transgresses against you seven times a day, then forgive him seven times a day. And then uh, in Joshua, the, the, with Achan, Joshua said to Achan, my son, uh, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him, confess unto God, and tell me what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. You know, so here, Achan had committed a sin that was not only against God. Remember, he kept some of the booty. Now, nobody in Israel was supposed to keep any of the booty, but uh, Achan had kept some of the booty from the battle, and it was bringing... Uh, curse upon all of God's people. So he had not only offended against God, he had endangered Israel. And so Joshua says, you know, you need to confess what you've done to God, but then you also need to tell the people that you have sinned against what you have done. And then you can also just think of uh, Matthew 18 uh, in, the, in the duty to uh, confess to our brother 
when he says that we have sinned against him. When he brings to us that uh, sense that, you know, you sinned against me in this way, we don't get to go, well, I've already dealt with that with God, right? You have to deal with it with the person uh, as well. Uh, And so they just want to make sure that we understand that our repentance is not just uh, away from sin and towards God, but that we are also acknowledging our sin to our brother when our brother is involved. And notice it says privately or publicly. So I do something uh, uh, terrible towards Mitchell. I sin against him in some way. And either it, it tweaks my conscience or he comes to me and points out what I have done. But nobody else knows about it. And uh, so I, I can say, uh, you know, Lord, forgive me. Mitchell, forgive me. And then Mitchell forgives me and, and we're done. I don't then need to come to the prayer meeting s- Sunday night and say, hey, I just want everybody to know I sinned against Mitchell this week, but we've worked it out, right? Uh, it can stay private between the two of us. But now if I've sinned against Mitchell in a public way so that everybody knows what I did then the divines are saying, not only do I need to work it out with Mitchell, but I need to kind of stand up before the congregation and acknowledge that I was wrong. I need to make a public confession of, of that sin. So um, that is repentance as the divines laid it out for us. Are there any questions or comments? Wow. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. So, um, uh, and it works in both directions, right? So, so he's asking about could someone be saved that we're not recognizing the fruit in? The church isn't recognizing the fruit in. Absolutely. And that guy could have been converted on his deathbed, for all we know. You know, he might not have been converted when he prayed that prayer 50 years ago, but he might have been converted moments before he died. But yeah, but more specific to your question, uh, we, we can only judge the external fruit, and we're not saved by the external fruit. And so only God can judge the heart. Only God knows what's actually uh, in the heart. And so that means someone that we might think, you know, I'm not sure he's a Christian, could very well be a Christian, and someone we think, oh, well, that's, that is a really great Christian, could be fooling us, and maybe even himself. Uh, it, it could be just tricking us, uh, and he's really not a Christian. Um, so maybe another way to put it is I'm not a very good arborist. You know, uh, I, I can't, you know, I, sometimes I'll see, uh, I'll think it's an orange tree when it's, when it's actually, a, you know, a mandarin tree or something. Um, but I think by our fruit we can, is where we have confidence, right, in others. So if, if there is a, a person who has been, you know, a member of the church all their lives and has lived, uh, you know, faithful obedience and it was respected by the church, respected by the community, you know, has been you know, leading Sunday school, you know, the kids' Sunday school classes, and, and, you know, and when they pray at the prayer meeting, you're just, you're moved by their prayers, and they're always talking about how they love Jesus, and what they've been studying, and then they pass away, then we can have great confidence that we will see them again in heaven, and then if there's, again, but, but 
99.9999% confidence that we will see them in heaven because, again, we can't read the heart. We can only read the outside, and the outside look great. And so we, we talk about them being in heaven, and we expect them to be in heaven, even while acknowledging that we can't judge the heart like God does. And then on the same, in the same way, in the reverse, the person who prayed that prayer or walked that aisle and then never darkened the door of the church again and went through four or five wives and, you know, was alcoholic and da, 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 da. when he dies, you go, yeah, I'll kind of be surprised if I see him in heaven. Now, I'd love to be surprised, but I will be surprised. So. Uh-huh. Now, I don't know about Armenians, but I'm pretty sure that any Baptist you've ever taught about really, really thinks that just because you said the prayer. Well, uh, I've met them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it probably is. It's probably not the majority, but this, the, the you know, so our doctrine, we believe, we believe once saved, always saved, right? But what we, we don't call it that. What we, our language is the preservation of the saints, those whom God has saved, he will, he will make sure that he, they persevere to the end. He will preserve them all the way. If he started a good work in them, he's going to bring it to an end, says Paul, right? So we, we think of it that way. Um, but there is within, I mean, this is taught in seminaries. I mean, this is a thing. Within the Baptist circles, uh, and I'm not saying it's all Baptist, cause it's, and it probably is a minority position, there is a, a doctrine of once saved, always saved. But, the, but, again, this guy would qualify, this guy who never had any fruit whatsoever. It's, it's the idea that once you have prayed that prayer, you can't, it's a work, it really is a works. Sparky, you want to help me out here? Yeah. <laughs> right. But, yeah, it's not all, it's not all Baptists. Uh, yeah, uh, and one of the um, one of the sad things is because everybody knows that's that's wrong, right? There there was also an overreaction in the Baptist Church, where they began to collapse works back down into faith and saying, "No, you have to do these things in order to be saved." They they overreacted. Again, I'm not saying all Baptists are in one category or the other, but there was a group of Baptists that overreacted and went the other way. And then, because I remember, I remember it, uh, this was, uh, I was like 30, and um, there was a lady at Best Products that I worked with, and uh, uh, and she, she, she found out I was a Christian, and you know, her church had been dealing with this issue, right? And so, uh, and they had gone, her church had gone to the, other extreme and it collapsed works into uh, and salvation. I forget the, the language they used to describe it. And she said, she gave me the false choice. Are you one of these people or one of those people? And I was like, uh, no, <laughs> you know, <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, I believe that if you're saved, you will always be saved. But I don't believe in what they mean when they say that. But then I also don't believe in what you're describing, you know, either. It's, it's, you know, it's not even a middle way. It's like, yeah, no, both of these are, both of these are wrong. Um, so it was just interesting to deal with somebody who had a, had an A-B switch. And I, I didn't fall into either of her, either of her categories. So neither, neither praying a prayer 
is magic, nor is repenting magic. We, don't, we can't get God on the hook, as it were. Now God's got to give me forgiveness because I have repented. I've got him, right? Salvation is the free gift of God, and that free gift leads to all sorts of things, including repentance. All right, thank you. Uh, we are uh, out of time, and we will see you next week.